Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. This is your host, Marie-Pierre or Marie, and I'm so pumped that you are here with me today. It's so nice to be able to connect. And today we have a topic that I really, really love. We're going to be talking about the eating spectrum and what how do we move along it? What are the different categories? Where can we find ourselves on this spectrum? Because I do really believe that eating is not like black and white, right? We don't have these like straight categories or where we fit in. It is a spectrum that we can move along. And the culture that we're in pushes us a little further on the spectrum. And we're going to talk about that today. But before I get into the podcast episode topic, I have an ask for you as we begin this podcast. And the ask will be to review the podcast. If you have been listening to it, if you have been enjoying it, if you're getting value out of it, um, I would love, 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 love to get a rating, a review from you, um, especially on the Apple podcast, if that's where you listen to. Unfortunately, we are all victims to the algorithm. That's such a like intense word to say, but, um, the algorithm really helps us, right? And the more that we get ratings and review, the more that they're actually going to push our podcast so more people can hear it. So, I'm really big on wanting to dismantle diet culture, and this happens when these types of podcasts are being pushed so more people can hear that dieting is not the only way, that there's actually a way that we get to opt out, but we got to be able to share these messages. So if you can take a moment of your time, 60 seconds to go on your app, go to the show, scroll down, leave me a review, leave me a five-star rating. It would be so, so wonderful. And I would appreciate you so much. I do read all of the reviews on the podcast. Um, and yeah, I just really appreciate, I love to be able to fist like, host this podcast, deliver free content to you. And I would just love, love, love to hear your thoughts about it if you have been enjoying it. All right. That was my ask of the day. Now let's get into this podcast episode. All right. So today we are talking about the the eating spectrum. I love to talk about this because I think oftentimes we think about you're either, you know, an intuitive eater or like a healthy eater or like you have a healthy relationship with food or you have an eating disorder. And um, although those two categories do exist, there's also like everything in between. So today we're going to start about talking about the different categories that we have on our spectrum, how we kind of move through it. And then I really want to talk about, you know, the difference between disordered eating eating disorders, and kind of like, what do we do if we are there? If you recognize yourself through this podcast, as we're talking, if you're like, oh, 
yep, that's me. Like, that's what I do. First of all, sending you so much love and compassion um, because it's vulnerable, right? Our relationship with food is so vulnerable. So sometimes when we're thinking about it and we realize that, ooh, okay, the way that my relationship to food and body is, is actually not supportive for me long-term, can be pretty big, can be pretty heavy. So lots of self-care, lots of love to yourself, and then we're going to talk about what we can do with it. All right, so I want us to imagine a spectrum. So the way that I picture a spectrum is like two arrows pointing out one big line. On one side of the spectrum, we're going to have what we call here intuitive eating. This is oftentimes like the goal, right? Where we want to be, where we want to land. This is the place also where we were born. (laughs) We were all born intuitive eaters. And then along the way, some of us kind of make our way further away from being an intuitive eater. So when we are in this space, when we are an an intuitive eater, our relationship with food feels pretty good, right? Um, There's not a lot of body image hangups. There's not a lot of food hangup. We feel pretty connected with the experience of eating. It feels pretty safe to be there. Um, Food, you know, is nourishing to our body, to our mind, to our emotions. Like overall, it's just like a pretty healthy relationship that we have with the experience of eating and food right? Again, this is most of the time where we try to get back to, like that's where we kind of want to be. Um, because when our relationship with food is a non-issue, it does allow us to live very differently, right? If you can think right now of like, imagine that you had a lot less thoughts about food and about body and about what you're going to eat or what you have eaten or all of those things, we can imagine that we get to live very differently because our brain is not as preoccupied. So this is where we are wanting to be, right? We're again, connected to our body. We have hunger cues and satiety and like all of it is great. Then we start moving more towards um, the middle of our spectrum. And this is where we are going to find disordered eating. And this is where in my experience, in my belief, I don't have data to support this, but I think I'm right, (laughs) that most people are actually there, right? Like most people in 2023 in diet culture don't really have a healthy relationship with food, we're most likely in that disordered eating vibe, right? Um, And this is just a um, consequence of having been brought up in diet culture, having been brought up feeling like our bodies are issues and that it's our role to change our bodies and being brought up, being told that some foods are healthy and unhealthy and you should eat this and not that and all of the diet industry behind it, right? So disordered eating to me also equates dieting. Dieting is a type of disordered eating, right? It changes the relationship that we have with food. It elevates the emotional load that we have in relationship with food. Um, Dieting is definitely a big part of disordered eating. Now, we can know that with dieting, there can be some nuances in the intensity, 
right? Like when we think again of our spectrum, we have some dieters that may have very like low consequences with their disordered eating patterns, right? Not no consequences. There are still consequences, but maybe low, like it's not maybe as impactful and maybe they don't necessarily feel the need to heal their relationship with food because they don't really believe that their current relationship with food is necessarily like hurting them. Right. Um, but then as we move along, we have some dieters that are like chronic dieters have been dieted for so many years or on and off or yo-yo, like the binge restrict cycle, like kind of always being stuck in these cycles. And then we start seeing that it gets more and more impactful and it has uh, bigger consequences the more that we move through the spectrum. Right. So some things that we can think about in the disordered eating category is that we may have a very difficult time listening to our body's cues, right? And that can be because we spent years ignoring our cues. So it can feel like we, we, like our cues are either offline or maybe we have lack of trust with ourselves. Like we don't believe that we are trustworthy. Um, and same thing with fullness, right? Like if we've ignored our fullness for a really long time, it can be really, really hard to connect with the satiety too. Um, we see in this is like in and out of different trends, right? Like always jumping on the new wagon, like doing keto and paleo and cutting out foods or cutting out um, amounts of calories that we eat in a day or even like intermittent fasting, like not eating. Like how disordered is this? Like I still can't believe that this is a thing in 2023 that people actually stop eating. Like, do we not understand that our body needs food? Our body is so expensive to keep alive. Please, please, please feed our body. Like, we need it. Um, so it can be a lot of rules around food, right? So any type of food rules that we have that can then generate some negative emotion if the rule is broken, right? So a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, but it can even lead to that piece of like all or nothing mindset of like, if I break the rule, then I may have a binge where I'm like, F this. I'm going to go like all in all of the way. When we have disordered eating, we start seeing that our relationship with food and with our body also start interfering with our quality of life, right? So our friends or like any social event, like maybe with intimacy, um, it can be even with our work, with our hobby, because it starts taking like too much space in our brain that it starts to impact the way that we get to live. Um, and then the connections that we have too with folks, right? It is much harder to connect with people when we are kind of stuck in the disordered eating patterns, right? Um, and we can also see things like isolation starts to be present, right? Like we don't go to family events, or if we go, we bring our own food because we can't eat whatever everybody else is eating. Or maybe it's, you know, avoiding going to restaurant with, with friends um, or avoiding any type of food related event, right? We see this often with folks who have some type of disordered eating um, patterns, right? So we can also start seeing that we become more rigid, less, less flexible with our food choices. Um, and then it can obviously also impact our body image. This is not always present, but oftentimes it's also present too, where we see that the um, our worth is associated with how we feel about our bodies, right? So scale goes down, we're real happy, we're real proud. Scales goes up, we're not happy, we're not proud. It really sucks. Like there's a lot of fluctuation in our own sense of self-worth and self-esteem. A lot of it is related to the food choices that we have and then or the two food choices that we pick, is that how we'd say it? 
or um, the way that we feel in our body at that time, right? And then also we can start feeling that um, it also starts impacting our relationship with movement. So how does movement fit into our lives, right? So again, like as I'm like stating all the things that are compromised in terms of disordered eating, we can probably hear that a lot of things, again, it's kind of like all of the dieting rules, right? All of the dieting rules that are promoting restriction, promoting like you need to control and track and over-exercise or compensate or earn, any of these things are disordered. And period, mic drop. This is all disordered behaviors. And again, on the spectrum, we can get from mildly disordered to very disordered, right? And all of it for me, I think one of the biggest like the way that I see it move along the spectrum is two things. One, how much does it impact your quality of life? The more that it impacts your quality of life, the more severe that it is. And how does it impact your health? Right? So if our body starts to feel unsafe, um, again, it becomes very, very um, important. And then we get to the last category, which is eating disorders. Now I always see, and that's the way that we tend to present it when we do presentations for like trainings for medical uh, clinics or other healthcare providers is that there is kind of this line that then it becomes an eating disorder. And the reason that there's more of a strict line before becoming an eating disorder is that eating disorders are mental illnesses that can be diagnosed. So there are certain criteria to diagnose an eating disorder. Now, I do want to say that right before we hit that line, we may not have, quote unquote, an eating disorder, but I would call it like a subclinical eating disorder. So like we may not meet criterias to be able to be diagnosed, but you're like meeting a lot of the criterias anyways, right? Like it might not be clinically diagnosed and in my practice, we still call it an eating disorder. It's just not being diagnosed because one, it's not always accessible. And two, you may not meet every criteria that is there, but it is still as um, severe and you still need help, right? So subclinical eating disorder is like right before that line, before we can get a diagnosis. But I do want to say that no matter if you got a diagnosis or not, no matter if you have a diagnosis or not, your experience is valid and you do need support. You do need help. If your relationship with food and your body is interfering with your life and with your health, you do need help, no matter if we have a diagnosis or not. I really hope I can like drill this down because I think one of the big things that happens with eating disorder care is that Either people don't get diagnosed and then don't get the care that they need and then they do develop a full-on eating disorder um, and or they just kind of stay stuck in that subclinical eating disorder for years and years and years and years and years because they're never getting diagnosed and then therefore not getting the help they need, right? So no matter where you are on this spectrum, if your relationship with food is impacting your quality of life and your health, please get support because it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like we can get to a place where our relationship with food and body actually empowers us. And that's the goal. That's the goal. That's what we want to work through, 
right? Okay, but then we get to clinical eating disorders, which is really at the end of that spectrum. Something I do want to say here is that 25 to 35% of people who start dieting, so who get into the like disordered eating umbrella zone, <laughs> umbrella zone, you guys can't see me because this is a podcast, obviously, but like I'm like moving my hands so much today to try to ex explain these concepts. Um, but basically anyone who has engaged in dieting at uh, 25 to 35% of those folks will develop an eating disorder. So it is a very, very, very slippery slope, right? Which for me as a provider who helps people with eating disorder, who specializes in eating disorder treatment, this is why I am so, not, not just why, there's so many reasons why I'm against diet culture, but this is one of the main reasons why I'm so against dieting. Because it is a huge risk factor for developing an eating disorder. 25 to 35% of people who start engaging in diets will develop an eating disorder. And an eating disorder is a chronic mental illness. It takes years to recover from an eating disorder, right? So we can see that the impact of dieting gets really, really big, really, really fast, right? Okay, now I'm going on tangents. Let's get back to eating disorder. So when we have an eating disorder, again, an eating disorder is a mental health um, illness that can be diagnosed with the DSM-5, um, and it is when we meet all criterias. There are right now five different types of eating disorders. So we have anorexia nervosa, which is identified by, um, it's really restrictive eating disorder, right? So it can be very low calories with excessive expenditure of calories. Um, we have bulimia nervosa. Also, sorry, anorexia nervosa. Let's just name here that not all people who have anorexia nervosa are thin-bodied. Um, they have something that's called atypical anorexia, which is also just like a little bit fat phobic. Um, but basically, like you can be, uh, you can have anorexia or restrictive tendencies without being in a thin body. So let's just like put that there for a moment. Okay, then we have bulimia nervosa, which is really those cycles of restriction, binge, and purge. Um, then we have binge eating disorder, which is more of a um, when we have binge eating episodes uh, happening oftentimes, um, frequently over three months. Well, I don't know the actual, I do know, but I'm not going to tell you the actual um, criteria of diagnosis. Then we have ARFID, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which it's really interesting at my practice, at the Balance Practice, we have started to see quite a lot of our uh, clients with ARFID. I think it's something that is being more recognized now in the medical system too. So it's starting to be a little bit easier to get diagnosed with that. So this is again, a restrictive type of eating disorder um, that have less to do like it's not anorexia it has less to do with the body image it can there can still be some body image concern but it's not the primary driver um it typically will be more around you know either like not interested in food or like it's a texture or just like that piece of like quote-unquote picky eating right when there's maybe more like sensory things happening there too um yeah but it's not really around the body Piece. And then we have other specified feeding eating disorders. So this is more of an umbrella term of like if you're if you don't fall into any of the other categories, but it is deemed that you do have an eating disorder, then you kind of fall into like OSFED, um, which is equally as severe as all the other eating disorders, right? Like all of them are severe. There is no hierarchy in our eating disorders. 
they are all as severe and they all require help, right? So that's when we see we have an eating disorder. Um, it's, again, those type of criteria that we have um, to be able to diagnose someone who has an eating disorder. So when we think about this spectrum here that we go from like intuitive eating to disordered eating to eating disorder, again, we call it a spectrum because we can move through it. Um, our goal is to stay in this piece of intuitive eating, right? Not engaging in diet culture, really healing that relationship with food and body before it becomes an eating disorder. If it is an eating disorder, if you are someone who has an eating disorder, then it's going through the recovery process to make sure that we can heal our relationship with food and with our body. So now that we've kind of talked about the three different categories, I want to talk a little bit about the impact, right, of all categories and what do we do if we have identified ourselves in that particular category. So we'll start again from one end to the next. So we'll start with intuitive eating. So if you are an intuitive eater, you are someone who has a positive relationship with food, where food feels you know, maybe more easy where food supports you physically, mentally. Um, we don't have a lot of body image hangups. Like that can feel like a really good space and a safe space to be. If you are in this space, like high five, yay, that's where we would want to stay, right? Because we live in diet culture, I do believe that it is not a destination, but it is a journey that we continue to be on. Right. And this is because we live in a society that continues to tell us that we need to change the way that we eat, the way that we look, how we should, you know, be and the, the health, everything. So in my brain, when we are an intuitive eater, we do want to stay there. And then we can actively do things to continue to maintain a positive relationship with food. One of those things is definitely the people we hang out with. Like the people we hang out with has such a big impact on how we are too. So when we are able to, you know, connect with folks who have similar values, who support what we do, um, who are also intuitive eaters and don't talk about dieting and weight loss all the time, like that can be still so helpful and also just kind of maintaining that space, right? And I also believe that once we are an intuitive eater, we also now get to have like other hobbies and things we get to do. I definitely found that for myself. And I also find that for a lot of my clients, like once we heal, we have more time, which is like really great. But I think that's also really good in maintaining, right, the intuitive eating, because now that you have more time and you get to engage in more things that increase like, you know, pleasure and joy in your life or connections, um, it does help us maintain being an intuitive eater, right? Because we don't have one all this time to just think about food and obsess about food. But now we have all these other activities that we feel empowered to do. And I think once we become an intuitive eater, like it's so good. <laughs> you kind of want to stay there too. Um, so that's it, right? Like if we are an intuitive eater, that's where we want to stay. You can also like as on top of like having a community, having like your life like increasing your life quality through your hobbies and things that you want to do, all of these things. I think also just like kind of surrounding your your brain. So right, like the social media we follow, the podcasts we listen to, like I think continuing to just engage in those conversations can be really, really helpful. Now, if we have disordered eating, well, again, the impact of disordered eating is, well, one or two things. One, the impact can be then developing an eating disorder. 
But also just living as a dieter is really difficult, right? Like not having a good relationship with food and body can be extremely draining and extremely difficult. So the impact can just be a lower life quality. What we actually know and what studies have actually shown us is that most chronic dieters report having a lower um, sense of like having a good life quality. So lower life quality, more body dissatisfaction, and actually more health issues and concerns, right? Because there is an impact when we are constantly yo-yo dieting and doing all of the things on our physical body. So it does have quite a bit impact there as well. And if you're listening to this and you're like, ooh, I think I have disordered eating, like there's a lot of things I relate to, like maybe there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame, maybe we're thinking about food all of the time, like you're driving your kids to soccer or whatever and all you can think about is what you're going to eat later, what you're not going to eat, or like, oh, I'm not going to go ice cream with them later, but I'm going to bring them and then I won't do this and I won't do that, or I'll go for a walk and then I'll be able to, like, if food thoughts occupy your brain that way. Um, or maybe it's like body image. Maybe there's a lot of discomfort in living in your body. All of these things, if you can recognize yourself there and you're like, oh yeah, like, you know what? This is me. Like, I feel like, again, my relationship with food just is really hard and takes away from a lot of my life. Then when we are here, what we want to do is really reach out for help right? And at this time, when we are a chronic dieter, um, treatment may not be as long, right? As like, as when we have an eating disorder, but it can be so impactful. It can be so, so impactful for you to take the step to heal. And it can also be one of the scariest things you'll do. Um, I know that folks who join the balance program, which is meant for folks who are in that space of disordered eating, not eating disorder, not intuitive eating, really in that middle ground, who are wanting to have a good relationship with food, Taking this step is difficult, right? Because dieting is what we know. It's familiar. And I really believe that what's more difficult than taking this step is living the rest of your life in diet culture. Like, that sounds real bad. <laughs> that sounds not fun. So I know this step is difficult, but I think, you know, really honoring that, yeah, you do deserve support. And you get to have support. And then looking at, you know, whether you want to have one-on-one -on -one work, like, are you someone who prefers to have just like one-on-one -on -one sessions and then trying to look for an anti-diet dietitian, honestly, will change your life. Um, I know I'm a little bit biased because one, I am a dietitian, but two, it has changed my life. Um, but one, yeah, if you can find an anti-diet dietitian or even a therapist to support, I think that can be super wonderful or a community. Um, I really believe in the power of community when it comes to disordered eating. That's why we have the balance program here because healing in a community can be so impactful. And I think it really does support the work in one, um, being able to heal a little faster because we see other people doing it. We're able to model, we're able to connect. We have a place where we belong. So there's a lot of these barriers when we do one-on-one -on -one that are not there. Um, but it really supports you in having all the tools that you need to be able to do the work. So if you're there, I do encourage you to reach out, um, whether it's to me or to anyone, right? If you have someone you follow that you're like, yeah, like I really like their vibe. Like I think it could be a really good fit. You're worth it. Do it. And then if we have an eating disorder, so the impact again can be pretty severe um, when we have an eating disorder, both on the physical body and the safeness of our body can be, um, there can be quite a lot of consequences as well as, you know, just mental health in general.
um, eating disorders are chronic mental illnesses and it can be, it is just really difficult to live with an eating disorder. Again, I'm talking from experience. It's hard. It's really, 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 really difficult. And recovery is hella scary. Like it is so, so scary to think about wanting to recover and you deserve recovery. Like we need you here on planet earth. We need you here with us. We need you to go through the recovery when you're ready or when you're not ready, but you kind of want to, you know, there's always like those pieces of us pulling in different directions of like the ED being like, ah, no, thank you. I will stay here forever. And then there's like, sometimes even just like 1% of ourselves. That's like, but I want to recover. So we're going to listen to that whisper. Um, And when we think of um, recovery, when it comes to eating disorders, then we definitely need to have individual treatments. Um, And depending on where you are at and the level of care required, then we will kind of decide where, um, what type of structure you need, basically. So for example, at The Balanced Practice, we offer one-on-one support for eating disorder care, which includes dietitians and therapists, because we know that we need a multidisciplinary approach, right? Eating disorders are not just about food and they're not just about our brain. Like we really need to have both the dietitian and therapist on board to support you um, and having a personalized care plan by provi- providers that are specialized. That's the only thing I will say to you that if you are looking for, for you know, to recover and have a treatment team please be sure that they are specializing in eating disorders. It is my biggest pet peeve, biggest pet peeve when um, folks are not and maybe they pretend to be or maybe they just don't know that they're not specialized because I don't know. Um, But that would be the first thing, right? Like make sure your team is specialized in eating disorder care because that is important more than anything else. And then depending again on your level of care, then we may add different things. So at the balance practice, we would add in um, our eating disorder program, which is really a more structured way to recover. That includes family support, meal support, group therapy, all care coordination, like really giving you all the tools that you require to recover. Um, and yeah, depending on where you're at, that's where well, that's what it would be. Um, the one thing I will say, if you have an eating disorder or even disordered eating, um, one, prevention is always the best medicine, right? Like that's always the first thing, like wherever you are, if we can prevent from getting um, or continuing down the spectrum, that's great. And if not, the sooner we can get help, the better. The sooner we can get help, the sooner we can start working towards recovery, we can start breaking the different patterns that we have, the better for our treatment outcome. All right, my friends. So this was a lot today where we talked about the eating spectrum and where we're at. And I just want to say again, no matter where you are at on the spectrum, really taking a moment today, even maybe just to reflect on where do you think you are and where do you want to be and how would that look like for you? right? We all get to be empowered in our care and choose. You get to have a choice of where you want to be. Um, But I think it starts by like really asking yourself those hard questions of like, where do I want to be? Where am I now? What would it look like for me? And what are the barriers maybe for me to change? And can I get support to get me through those barriers, right? On that note, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you are looking for support, The Balanced Practice is always so happy to help. Um, We can help folks across Ontario. If you're not in Ontario, but you do want help, um, send me a DM on Instagram. I know 
quite a lot of people in this field. So I'll be really, really happy to refer you out to other folks. So please don't hesitate to send me an email or an email, a DM on Instagram if you're looking for support, but you're not in Ontario. Um, and yeah, I'd be really, really happy to help because you getting help is what we want. All right, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. And before we go today, I do want to tell you about our low-cost workshop that is coming up in July. And um, so every month, the Balance Practice is offering low-cost workshops around topics topics that are around eating disorder care, our relationship with food, relationship with our body. And this month, we are talking about communication, right? We know that it takes a village to be able to support our recovery and support ourselves. And just in general, like we are not islands. We need our people. We need our tribe with us. So in this workshop, we're going to talk about how to communicate effectively. Um, and I think this is a really important one because communication can be a really tough thing, especially if we have an eating disorder. So if you are interested in learning more about communication, you can join us in our low-cost workshop. It is $10 per person or free if you are an active client of The Balance Practice. And you can sign up by going to thebalancepractice.com forward slash LC workshop. The link will also be in show notes for you. On that note, my friend, I will catch you next week in the next episode.